Welcome to the Talking Deen podcast brought to you by Voice of the Ummah. My name is Majid and my co-host today are Brother Rash and Brother JK. First of all, I'd like to say Ramadan Kareem to all of you out there. And inshallah, hopefully we can take advantage of this blessed month. Okay, right. Now in regards to the topic today, as many of you will know, Ramadan is known as the month of Quran. So we thought it's best to start off with this on this blessed month with this blessed topic. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Shahru Ramadan Alladhi unzila fihi al-Quran. The month of Ramadan is that in which was revealed the Quran. Hudan nasi wa bayyinati min al-khuda wal furqan. A guidance for the people and clear proofs of guidance and criterion. So subhanAllah we can see that when Muslims link Ramadan to the Quran, a lot of times it's based on this ayat. So we see that in Ramadan, people, you know, they um, pick up their recitation of the Quran. People try to uh, recite the entire Quran in the month. People attend Taraweeh to listen to the Quran throughout the month. And we also have Qirat competitions as well. But this is not the topic of uh, today's podcast because inshallah this podcast is uh, a little different because this is the stuff you'll hear in every masjid what we want to speak about today is the true purpose of the quran because it may well be that if we only ever speak about ramadan and the quran and make the link purely to just recitation of the quran then we're missing the bigger picture so inshallah ta'ala today we want to discuss the issue of quran and do it justice. So my first question for my uh, my co-hosts is, what is the actual purpose of the Quran? Is it just uh, like a book to read from the front uh, front page, first page to the last page? Is it just for tarawiyah, or is there more to this? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. Um, you know, what is the true purpose of the Quran? Why was the Quran sent to us uh, by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala? But before you know, we answer this question, I think what's the pertinent question really is what is our purpose? You know, what is the purpose of mankind itself? What's the purpose of creation? And we know Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in the Quran, uh, I have not created jinn kind or mankind except to worship me. So this is our true purpose. That in Everything that we do in our whole life's affairs and uh, whether, whether it be kind of our personal worship, whether it become, becomes kind of our transactions with other people, the way we live our life has to be in the worship of Allah. So if this is our purpose and this is our reason for, for living, uh, the next question really is, is how do we worship Allah? So what is the, the way in which we worship Allah? Has Allah given any message to worship Allah? You know, has he given some guidance in terms of how we worship him and you know what what is right and what is wrong and all of this uh, this the question that arises essentially is what is our you know what is that message and how do we go about doing that and that's where the quran comes in because quran is that guidance as allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and in the verses that you you mentioned i just want to kind of break down these verses uh, where allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says shahru ramadan allazina fihi alquran in the month of ramadan quran was revealed so if we take this as a first point um Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that two things really that 
the month of Ramadan is uh, in itself blessed, and we know this, and it's the best best of months. And interesting fact is that uh, the month of Ramadan, uh, that is the only month Allah mentions in the Quran. No other month is given that status. So, firstly, we know that the Ramadan is a blessed month, as we know, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has given it this status. The second thing to know is that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala could have linked anything to Ramadan, like many things he could have chosen to link to Ramadan. Whether it be fasting, because fasting is done in Ramadan, of course. Whether it be kind of Qiyam, whether it be the Salah, whether it be Zakah. All of these things we find that in Ramadan many Muslims do. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose the Qur'an to link to Ramadan. This is its primary focus. Not to say these other things don't happen. Absolutely, we know in the verses after, Allah talks about fasting and so on. But Allah chooses first the Qur'an. And the, the, you know, sometimes we take it for granted. The Quran. We 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 think that you know it's in our houses and everyone's got a Quran, whether it be the actual Mus'haf or whether it be the translation. But Subhanallah, if you really think about it, what is the Quran? The Quran is the speech of Allah that came from above the seven heavens, you know, and came to us. You know, we have access to the word of Allah. That uh, is not just only the word of Allah; it is the final word of Allah. It's the own the final message that Allah will send to mankind, and we have the you know the kind of privilege of having this message in our homes having access to the word of Allah so that's the first thing to note moving on to the second part of the ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says really clearly what is the purpose of the Quran nas, a guidance for mankind very simple nas, a guidance for mankind and a few things to note from this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says for mankind he doesn't say a guidance for muslimun he doesn't say a guidance just for muslims he says this is a guidance for mankind. So whether we are non-Muslim, we are Muslim, whether um, we are people of today, whether we are people of the past or people of the future, this is a guidance for all of mankind, right? So this is um, the clear purpose of the Quran as, as you're asking. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to say further that وَبَيِّنَاتٍ مِّنَ الْخُدَى That with clear proofs of guidance. And the scholars have said that what this means is that the Qur'an is in of, of itself the proof of the message. And this, is the, this, this can only be said of the Qur'an. Like any other message that came, whether it be Musa, السلام, whether it be Isa, Nu, all of these people came with separate proofs. But it's only the Qur'an that came with, the, it was the proof in itself. It was a miracle in itself, as we know. And that is why it's important for Muslims to really decisively understand that this is the speech of Allah. Be convinced of this in rational, on a rational basis. Take the signs and understand that the language of the Qur'an does prove that it is in the actual sense the word of Allah. It is the kalam of Allah. And only when we convince ourselves of this then we can take the whole Qur'an and take it to be the truth and implement it in our lives. And the final thing just to end the answer really is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it is wal furqan. That it is a criterion. Not, it is, sorry, it is the criterion. And the, the important thing here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not saying that it's one criterion, it's one way. It is the only criterion. And when we say criteria, what do we mean? It is, tells us what's right and wrong. It tells us what's uh, halal and haram. It tells us, um, you know, in terms of when the, the word furqan is linked to laws. So it is about not just the way we live our lives as personal beings and personal kind of our personal relationships but our relationships with other people our relationship with Allah and our relationship with ourselves so in this ayah it's such a rich ayat um, we have that kind of answer to your question what is the purpose of Quran to summarize it is a guidance for mankind 
and a criterion. Subhanallah. So the way you've uh, described it there, you know, a lot of times if we see, uh, especially growing up, Quran was uh, it was like a cultural thing. You know, it was something that you kept uh, on the top shelf. You know, if people got angry, if you turn your back to it, um, and people would read it, you know, once a year, whether it's because one's died or whether it's in Ramadan. But the way you described it there, the fact that it's a guidance, in the sense how you know if you had a device which broke down, then you know, well nowadays you just go for the warranty. But in the old days, you'd go and look for the actual manual to try to try to try to fix it, and that's how we should view the Quran. But in fact, maybe view it like a, a religious book, like every religion has their religious book and the Quran is the religious book for the Muslims. So inshallah, my next question then is why do we, why do we think that Muslims view uh, or don't understand the Quran or don't follow the Quran in the way you've described? What, what, do, we, what, what do we think is the problem? You know, what I would say about that actually is to answer it a slightly different way as well, is that we need to first understand a, a trait of man that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam actually tells us about. What he tells us in um, a famous hadith is he tells us that how you compare between a good companion and a bad companion. He highlights, if you remember the, the story of the seller of musk and the blacksmith, so he highlights to us the seller of musk is that person who you buy from and they leave a pleasant smell on you. Or you go to the blacksmith and either you burn your clothes or it leaves an unpleasant smell on you. But what the Prophet ﷺ is highlighting is that the significance of the society around you having an impact on you. So you ask the question of why do not Muslims perhaps understand it in this very clear and comprehensive manner that the brother has already suggested. The society, and you know what the dominant thoughts that are in society, they have an effect on you. Even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Furqan, Ya waylata laytani lam atta fulanan khalilan, which stands for, which means translation of the meaning, woe to me, would that I had not taken so-and-so as a friend. And it goes on to say in the next ayat, he has led me astray from this. So it's just elaborating on what the Prophet wasallam has told us that people around us, those that are around us, have an impact on us. And the reason why I mentioned this point is that today we live in a very secular, predominantly secular society, even in Muslim lands. Secular society where secular laws are implemented. Islamic laws are not. So what that's led to is Muslims having a rather ritualistic and even an individualistic view of Islam. And when you have this trait where we are influenced by our surroundings, you start to even view the Quran in the way the, that we are influenced by our society. And furthermore, what happens is we actually start to take verses of the Quran in that individualistic and ritualistic way. So as an example, even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Ibrahim, Alif Lam Ra, a book or translation of the meaning, a book which we have revealed unto you in order that you might lead mankind out of the depths of darkness and into the light by the leave of their Lord to the way of the exalted in power, the worthy of all praise. No doubt at all that as an individual, you can take this and say, Islam takes me out of darkness. As an individual, you can say, connecting myself to the Creator takes me out of darkness. But at the same time, surely 
poverty the wide-scale problem of poverty is a form of darkness you know the depraved societies we live in with rape and abortion and transgenderism and all of these things these are no doubt about it these are darknesses yeah and the riba based economies that we live in this is darkness so to get us out of these darknesses we can't individually get us out of those we need a collective comprehensive implementation of the quran but can you see the same verse we can take in an individualistic way and we can we can take lessons from this from an individual point of view but that very same verse has very societal and very important comprehensive um effects on society yet that we're not taking some of those or we're not looking at those because we have been almost programmed to think individually and quite ritualistically and just to finish my point is that even things like when allah says they wish to is- extinguish his light you know yuriduna li yutfiu nur allah he says extinguish allah's light sometimes we just take that very informationally but actually we should be taking that and going when allah has a plan who does he execute it via via his arm but yeah. via us so people execute allah's plan so you know when allah tells us this we need to do something about this doesn't mean we just sit there and say okay that's going to happen and allah's going to solve it not like the jews did to musa and said you go and solve the problems with your creator we'll sit back and chill you know actually we need to do something so just to kind of conclude that point is the the reason people need to view it more comprehensively and the perhaps the way, reason they don't view it the way you described is that collective spirit that societal spirit and that viewing of ayats of the quran in that collective way isn't happening because we live in a predominantly secular individualistic society and that's the way i would look at it subhanallah also just to add to that as well i think it may also be the fact that you know how people view the life of the messenger sallam i the reason why uh, you know what his mission was about because if you if you disconnect that and you just hear stories about just uh, one person who was very kind to people and you know and you take it disconnect it from the actual mission mission of the messenger sallam and some of the ayats that you just mentioned there we can see that the quran is filled with the ayat that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the ongoing battle between the falsehood and between the truth between the haq between the batil is the quran is full of these and in fact when we see the reality today and we see how muslims many muslims have just accepted the status quo as it is or the fact that these ayat don't impact them or like you just said maybe they uh, just you know make it make it to do with the individual then they disconnect it actually from the the messenger himself because if we are really going to understand the ayat then as the when aisha radhiyallahu was asked you know describe the messenger sallallahu and she said that the messenger was the walking talking quran so if we really want to understand the purpose of the quran then we need to we need to look at how did the messenger sallallahu how did he understand it and how did he act upon it because that's how we understand his understanding and the sahaba and the companions after them so my next question is why is it that we don't respond in the same manner to the quran as the sahaba or the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or the righteous generations after them 
Yeah, I think it's, it's partly what you've really said that we've, you know, unlinked the Quran from the life of the Prophet Sallallahu or actually what we've done is we've not really given justice to the Seerah. We haven't given justice to the life of the Prophet Sallallahu as well as the Sahaba, the, those who came after him and we know to be the best of generations. No, no one doubts this. Everyone knows that. If we were to say who followed the Islam and who followed the Prophet Sallallahu in the best way, we will think straight away the Sahaba, first and foremost. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala himself has praised the Sahaba in, the, in this regard. So, as you're saying that Aisha was asked about, you know, the, the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi and he, she said that he was the example of the Qur'an. So, you know, he basically, he entailed all of the Qur'an in his actions, in his speech and whatever he did in his, you know, his mission in, in that sense. He, you know, his mission essentially was to take that Qur'an and to implement it upon uh, the people around him and take it to the world, take it to mankind. This was his mission. And, you know, take us back to the, you know, when was the Qur'an revealed, actually? When was the Qur'an revealed? It was revealed in Ramadan, but it was revealed on a specific night. On Laylatul Qadr, as we know, right? And let's take it back right to this this lesson in the Sirah, right? That um, when he was uh, in the cave of Hira and uh, Angel Jibreel came to him um, and, you know, really surprised him and, and grasped him. And it was very kind of a you know, massive kind of experience for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But uh, when he kind of settled down and understood that mission where Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said through Jibreel that, Ya yuhal muddathir that all you wrapped up in a garment arise and warn you know this was one of the key initial messages given to the prophet through allah and you know this in itself tells us what what is that islam about to go arise and warn and when he heard this he went to khadija when khadija you know gave him that comfort and solace what what the prophet said to his wife after today there's no more rest just you know it's not about kind of chilling and doing whatever and uh, you know and i don't want to belittle and many muslims understand this but but actually when you take ramadan and that link between quran you're right we've really focused in on the recitation the going to taraweeh and listening to the quran which no doubt are rewarding don't don't get me wrong absolutely necessary we all go to taraweeh we want to listen but how many of us have taken it 100 percent? you know that's take that's a percentage of it but if you take it in compre- you know comprehensively Actually, Quran is much more than that. As I've, as I've been saying, it's a guidance, it's a furqan, it's a criterion. So I think the reason why many don't take uh, you know, the, the example of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is that we haven't really understood the seerah properly. And I think that's the first point of call. We need to really understand what, uh, what it means, uh, what it meant to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. How did he go about implementing it? And we know in the Quran, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says that, uh, um, that he sent the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to make the deen prevail. You know, to to essentially, you know, take Islam by the grasp of its neck and make it prevail over all other ways. You know, take away all that falsehood that exists in the world. And this is not only the mission of the, mes- the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This becomes our mission, naturally. The Ummah's mission, right? And we haven't really, gra- many haven't grasped this. And then your second part of the question about the Sahaba. You know, you could argue that initially when the Prophet ﷺ was around, he was leading the Sahaba. So they had no choice, really. They were just following that path. But if you take the life of the Sahaba after the Prophet ﷺ passed away, what happened? The, the Sahaba didn't kind of go back on their heels and, you know, go back and, you know, in, in you know, solitude and take the Quran to be just something that we read at home. No, they understood it to be something that they need to go implement upon other societies and other lands and nations and they did exactly this so you'll find that islam spread 
more widely and far and wide under the realm of kind of Omar and the Sahaba after uh, than the Prophet mm. So this is because they understood what it meant to implement Quran. And when it came to, um, you know, the link back to Ramadan is, you know, in Ramadan, many think about how do we go away and read Quran in, you know, in the mosques and, and do all of this. But, but actually, if you look at the history of the Sahaba, many important battles, battles took place yeah. during the Ramadan, right? Badr, the conquest of Spain, the conquest of uh, Constantinople, uh, whether it be the, the defeat of the Mongols, Angel, all of these battles, it's no coincidence that they took place in Ramadan. And the reason for this is that the Sahaba understood that now, we you know, they, they were doing battles throughout the year anyway, but when they knew that the Quran was revealed in the month of Quran, um, Ramadan, so we need to take this Quran and take it to the further lands. You know, actually they understood that even though they were fasting, you know, they may have been, you know, tired and it's, it's, it's not easy to go and take these to the far, far the further lands, but they did. And this really highlights that question that you were asking, that why don't we take it in the same way? Because we haven't really understood what the Sahaba did and what the Prophet ﷺ really understood to be, you know, the Quran to really mean. Yeah, subhanAllah, you know, we uh, obviously we as Muslims we we have love for the you know unconditional love for the Messenger but if we look at his life and like you mentioned at the time of Hira and from that time, you know, the Prophet as soon as he had the revelation and soon as he understood his mission till his last breath, you know, he was on a mission. He didn't have you know he didn't have a year off or he didn't go on vacation. You know, in the sense that what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if we aspire to want to try to emulate the Messiah and we 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 see him as you know someone who we love after only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we look at his life and we look at for example the situation when he went to uh, Taif and he was stoned. And as Muslims, you know, we gotta ask ourselves, the Prophet was bleeding so much that his slippers were stuck to his feet. And have we even, you know, shed some sweat for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And he's the best of creation. And he's the best of creation. And we are nothing compared to him. Yet we are very casually, very casually treat this deen. And very casually try to uh, understand the, the deen and the, the qalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whilst the one who understood it and the, the people that you mentioned after, their example is there for us all. Yet there's a big disconnection that we think that you know we can be followers like them, yet our life is rosy, and and we you know there's no hardship, whilst their life was full of hardships. So Subhanallah is very powerful what you said there, and you know that's the question because you know we go to Tarawi, we read the Quran, and some of the ayats that you mentioned, you know there's a massive disconnection because we could be going to Tarawi. And we could be listening to the ayat that speak about all these things, that speak about the mission, that speak about you know striving for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But as soon as we leave the masjid, that's totally you know left our minds. Yeah, and you, you know, Omar once he said that there's a famous quote by Omar where he said, Do not be fooled by those who recite the Quran. That is mere speech, but you know, for his recitation speech, instead look at those who implement it act, act upon it mm. right so what does this mean you know we all recite it subhanallah we get reward for it as well okay. but what omar is saying here is that the real one the one who's really strong and the one who, who has the main kind of reward is the one who really acts upon the quran just just to add to your point there so how can how can we so easily ignore all the ayat about the rules about the laws about governance about all justice about all these things 
that we listen to, why is it or how how do we so easily just ignore this? I would say there's probably a couple of factors. Yeah. So first factor is, as I was saying earlier, about the societal impact, about how the society sees certain aspects of how we are more ritualistic now or from a kind of a, an individualistic point of view. But actually there's other aspects to this is that um, from the point of view as where there is clear cut verses, no one can really argue with them. The other verses they may have looked at and gone, okay, I'll take that one in an individual point of view. Mm. But there are some verses where Allah is saying, Al-Hukmu illa lillah, the hukum belongs to Allah. When those are so clear, people can't necessarily argue with them. However, what I think is, and there may be more than one reason for this, but we have to highlight that the people with the loudest voices and the people who are being given the platforms, the and whether that be scholars who you know may have been paid to say things or people who genuinely out of sincerity are avoiding saying things in fear of them of their lives, that they are not highlighting to the people that the in order to take Allah's verses in order to take his kalam and solve our problems we need to implement this deen and instead what they are telling the masses those people with the loudest voices they are telling the masses that the status quo is fine in that okay yes you have nation states yes you have secularism implemented but you can still pray you can still go to hajj you can still pray your salah so that is the message that is coming across so we go to tarawih we listen, we hear Al-Hakim, Al-Hukam, we'll hear these words in all the verses when we're standing in Tarawih again and again, but maybe we're going away and we're taking the fact that no scholar is telling us, oh, you need to stand up and you need to work so that Islam is implemented again. No one with a high platform in lofty positions is saying, all of you Muslims stand up and call for the implementation of Allah Sharia. Surely there's, I totally agree with you, but surely also, especially now, people are educated. You know, a lot of people tend to uh, read the uh, the translation of the meaning if they not if they don't know the Arabic. But for example, if you come across the uh, the ayat of Allah, as Allah said, "Exalted is He who took His servant by night from Masjid Al Haram to Al Masjid Al Aqsa, whose surroundings we are blessed to show Him of our signs. Indeed, He is the hearing, the seeing." Subhanallah, when we, when we read this and we look at the situation of Palestine today and we look at how we're here squabbling about when the, the moon is going to be sighted and there the Palestinian, the, our Muslim brothers and sisters in Gaza are wondering whether the land invasion is going to start today, it's going to start tomorrow. You know, the children, they don't sleep at night. They just urinate just, just from any sound because they think it may be a fighter jet. But Palestine every day, daily, you see settlers going in and desecrating the masjid. That land is blessed. And something that's really important is the fact that, you know, the, it might be a bit off topic, but, you know, a lot of times when we speak about Al-Aqsa situation, we link it to the Palestinians. But the reality is, is that's, done, that's been done deliberately because they made it into a, a human issue, a humanitarian issue. But the reality is that even if there was not one single Palestinian in that land, it is still the blessed land because of what this ayat says. So because of this, how can we read this casually? Here, Aqsa, here, this. And casually then, you know, either don't do anything or be content with uh, giving a bit, of, uh, a bit of change, thinking this is going to solve the problem. To be fair, just on the original question as well 
sometimes we're negative about the fact that, okay, why are Muslims not reacting, like you say, to these instances that you've mentioned? But to be fair, just to be very clear, we're not on a downward trajectory. No. We're on an upward t- trajectory. So what's happening is, happening is, especially even take this year Ramadan in, into account and compare it to five, ten years ago, there are people immediately after the night that they read Tarawih, people are sending out, this is, what you, this is the translation of what you listened to yesterday in Tarawih. This is the tafsir. This is what it's saying. This is what we need to do. So and that didn't happen five, ten years ago. So every year that snowball is rolling. So, you know, the trajectory is definitely in a positive direction. Muslims are becoming more aware. And if you speak to the common Muslim and say, you know, what is the solution of places like Palestine? You know, yes, in the past, people may have said, oh, okay, maybe a two-state solution and this, that and the other. But people are recognizing now that that is not a solution. People are recognizing that, you know what, we need the Muslim armies to go in there and, and rectify this situation. So it is something that people are recognizing, but perhaps there needs to be people there to really guide those people and say, this is the activity and this is the path you need to follow in order to, for us to get to that destination. And, you know, just to, just to add to that, I think what we don't want to really get across, like you're saying, we don't want to sound like, you know, we're really kind of disheartening the Muslims no, and saying that they're not, you know, Muslims are getting there. And, you know, the fact is, Yes, well, there's more we need to do. and There's more kind of we need to share. And all Muslims that are kind of listening to this and uh, are aware need to be yeah. doing their part in kind of other Muslims understanding this. But the other reality that it is taking place today is that the enemies of Islam, those yeah. who hate Islam, those who really want Islam to fail and uh, see the threat, they're, you know, they've upped their trajectories. Yeah. Well, you know, they've upped their game as well. Yeah. So, you know, you know, like we're talking about the Qur'an and we're talking about all these ayat about uh, very clear, you know, about the, the rule belongs to Allah. You know, we need to be performing jihad in the, in the right sense. You know, the word jihad itself has become so poisonous in the, in the you know, for us, alhamdulillah, we, you know, we know it's haq. So we will hold on to it. But it's becoming, you know, the, stigmatized. You know, stigmatized, mm. that's the word. And it's not just that, you know, they've spent millions to take out certain verses of the Qur'an, not, not from the Qur'an itself, but from the education curriculum, mm. so that they're not taught, right? They're taking out certain books in Saudi, for example. They've got a campaign where they're taking out certain books that were meant to be taught around, you know, the true purpose of how we liberate lands from the curriculum. And this is deliberate because they don't want Muslims to, uh, you know, they see this revival taking place, but they don't want Muslims to grasp that, oh, this is how we solve exactly. the solution. This is how we, you know, solve the problem. Yeah, and equally, those voices that are increasing amongst the Muslims to call for this is how you know Islam will solve problems that we see in our lands those voices are being drowned out because those people with the bigger purse strings are able to implement plans in order to kind of keep that suppressed but it can only happen for so long that's true that's true i mean from from what it seems like you said there is you know the the quran is there as the guidance but at the moment, we have many barriers put in place for people to be guided. And that's where we've got people from the outside, but also people from the inside who are probably more dangerous. Because, you know, some of the ayahs we mentioned are clear. Yet, even today, if somebody was to question the imam or somebody, he would put a different spin onto it. Right? Because of the fact that, like you said, because the one thing is, even if there was no Muslims in the world left, as long as the, the Quran, the Haq is there, Islam will still prevail because other people will believe in it. But the fact is that if you try to take away, and like you said, 
there's ma- there's huge reform projects going on where they're trying to restrict people from reciting Surah Tawbah and all these things. But obviously they're going to fail. But then would we not say that clearly from what you're saying is that as an ummah, we will not be able to change our situation, our condition without going back to the Quran and the Sunnah in the correct way. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And, and you know, when you say change our condition, look at our condition. SubhanAllah, it's so dire, as you're saying. You know, even in the month of Ramadan itself, what happens every single year is that the Israelis, the, you know, the, these usurpers, they basically uh, up the bombardment and kill our brothers. Only, only the other day, last few days, 20 or so Muslims have uh, been killed. They've targeted schools. 13 schools were uh, targeted in, these, in this uh, bombardment. So, you know, they up the ante and the Muslims are suffering in these lands. When it comes to the Muslims of the, the Uyghur Muslims of China, they, you know, they're struggling to even fast. You know, they're being forced to break their fast. They're, they're being really kind of, to- you know, tortured in that sense. You know, that, that's the word to really use, tortured. And, and many Muslims are being killed in Burma. The list goes on, really. Syria, Yemen, wherever you, you know, the whole of the Muslim world is on fire in that sense. And like you said, in order to solve this problem, we have to refer back to the Quran and the Sunnah. This is the solution, really. You know, we've tried the UN. We've, you know, tried to lobby these organizations, which in reality are institutions that are here to make the problem worse. You know, they're there just to show that, oh, there's this human, human kind of organization. But in actual fact, who do they represent? They represent the enemies of Allah. Absolutely, right? Um, and then there's other more sincere efforts in terms of uh, charity and, and things like fundraising. But the reality is, you know, how, as blunt as this may sound, this does not solve the problem. You know, charity is an ibadah. There's something we can do and we do in Ramadan and absolutely want to help the Muslims. And, you know, there may be some sincerity in this, but the reality is these are political problems and they won't be solved by, you know, raising the bucket, really. You know, and I know many Muslims recognize this now. You know, we've been doing for years, collecting thousands and millions even, but it doesn't really solve that problem. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah la yugayiru ma bi qawmi hatta yugayiru ma bi anfusihim. That Allah does not change the condition of a people, a qawm, a community, until they change what is within themselves. So Allah is telling us that you can only change when you, you know, rectify yourselves as a society, as a community. And, you know, the only way we can do that is when we take guidance from the Qur'an. As we said, going back to right from the start of the conversation, nas, a guidance from, from mankind. And that's the only way that we can change our situation as an ummah. And we've been shown, right? So we've got the Qur'an, but we've been shown how to do this through the actions of the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba after him. So this is how we need to go about doing this and change our, changing our condition. I think it's important to note as well the fact that, you know, we, we might look, like you said, it's a dire situation. But what I would say is that, yes, a dire situation in regards to the humiliation the Ummah is facing, but at the same time, what we're seeing is within the Ummah a revival. And in fact, the, how, the, how desperate we see the enemies of Islam getting, this is a reaction to the fact that the, the Ummah is starting to understand what the Qur'an is and the, and the Sunnah is and connect to it. And hence why there's, a reaction, there's, there's this reaction. You know, but what we need to do is there are many people out there who want to do something, but either either they don't know because they're being told to do these these activities which are not going to solve the problem, or they you know they probably just don't know. But the reality is is that the fact that we are here, the fact that we can speak out, and the fact that we can work towards this change, 
this is different to someone just, just say in, in Palestine or in Iraq and Syria where their situation right now is one where maybe they're not sure whether they're going to get the next meal. But as Muslims who are listening to this podcast and us, we really have to question and think that if we are the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that we need to carry on his mission. And his mission really is to liberate the entire world from the darkness and into the light. So to add some more points, also I say maybe a final question because time is running out. Um, how do we conclude that people want to keep the situation as it is and the people promote interfaith when some of the ayats that we mentioned are clear? Why is this? And we probably touched upon it already. No, no, we have touched upon it a little bit already. It comes back to understanding the mission of the Messenger ﷺ properly. And we can give some kind of specific examples because there are a lot of sincere efforts. No doubt they are sincere where what people have done is they've gone, they've taken, we know Dawah, for example, is Fard. Yeah, we know we need to call to Islam. Okay, but people have taken individual duties of, okay, if I'm with someone, I need to give them thou, I need to call them to Islam. Or when Allah is saying that it is he who has sent his messenger with guidance and the deen of truth, that he makes it prevail over all other deens. Even then, some people see this as, okay, so if we do individual missionary dawah, then Allah's message will get out all over the world. Or if we convert lots of people to Islam and we have the largest population of Muslims, then all of a sudden that is satisfying some of these elements. But what all this is really doing, and even like you mentioned things like interfaith and all of these aspects, is, is taking our current reality, seeing a problem and trying to fill it with something which isn't the solution to this problem. So almost there's a void there, which is a state level void where a state in its entirety calls to Islam via its mechanisms, calls to Islam and implements Islam. Instead, as individuals, we've taken certain individual duties and tried to fill that void. Yeah. And, and like I said, sincerely, and there's groups and, and people that are involved in this activity. But the issue is, is involved to such an extent that what is an obligation to actually implement Allah's deen has been left. And actually doing da'wah, which is also we need to do, but they've kept to just that side. And this is dangerous. And to further, you know, you mentioned also how the Sahaba understood this. Take, for example, did the Sahaba, after the passing of the Prophet ﷺ, simply send scholars and Muslims to all corners of the globe and say, go and convert people, do missionary work. They didn't. They recognized that we need to ex continue to expand Islam so that Islam is implemented. And to be fair, there's an example that I use that I think helps kind of clarify in my mind at least. is If there was a nation, would you prefer a nation with many Muslims but no implementation of Allah Sharia? Or a nation where there was very few Muslims, but Allah's deen is being implemented. All his rules are being implemented. Because actually, when Allah says in Surah An-Nisa, but know by your Lord, they can have no iman. La yu'minuna, have no iman until they make you, O Muhammad, judge in all disputes between them and find in themselves no resistance against your decisions and accept them with full submission. He's saying, can we see the gravity of this? You have no iman until you implement, you know, judge by what has been revealed. All of a sudden, 
this is why they understood it. The Sahaba understood that we can't just go, okay, let's make more Muslims. We have to implement Allah's deen. Yeah. And actually, people coming to Islam is a consequence of implementing Allah's deen, which is why we saw people flock to Islam after the state was born yeah. versus only very few people coming to Islam yeah. prior to this. So this is very important. And that's what I would say about people maintaining the status quo, even though they are here these very clear-cut verses because just understanding the Prophet's mission is very important okay so inshallah we're, we're sort of getting close to the end now uh, because you can, we could continue with this and the, the points you guys have made just on those points you can have many points another discussion another discussion but you know Allah subhanahu says in the Quran that uh, for believers are those who when Allah is mentioned feel a tremor in their hearts and when his verses are recited to them, it increases their iman and put all their trust, and they put all their trust in their Lord. So subhanAllah, this is how we should really understand and react when the, the ayahs of the Quran are mentioned. And not just be content with just listening to it or just reciting it or even just memorizing it. Because like, as you mentioned before, I think Brother JK mentioned it, you know, the Quran is full of action. You have to act upon it. Without the action, it's just mere words, okay? Uh, and we should really understand that the Quran is a criterion, as you mentioned, um, and that this is this incorporates all aspects of life. And as Allah says in the Quran as well, that are you from those who take part of the book and reject the rest? And that's why if we can understand what the Quran is, and we can understand that this is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by a fact, as you mentioned at the start, you know, we, we 100% are convinced that this is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we take everything from there. Everything, and then we see how the Prophet implemented this. And we don't have a choice to say, well, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm still growing up and I'll leave this bit, you know, I still want to live my life and when I get to this stage and I'll do this or, you know, or this bit sounds uncomfortable or actually this bit is a bit out of date now. You know, we have to submit to the will of and the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in its entirety. And we don't have any option in this. So inshallah, a quick summary is, you know, once we understand what the Quran is, and then we'll understand what is required of us as Muslims. And this is how the Quran should be mentioned in the masjids. And I'm sure it is, but a lot of times, a lot of emphasis is put on the recitation, whether it's the Qur'an competition, and sometimes, you know, Muslims, we can have every Muslim who has uh, memorized the Quran, but if that doesn't come into the reality, if there's no action behind this, then in fact, you know, it's just... Is hollow in a sense that the real essence is missing, and one of some of the ayats that the brothers have mentioned today, and something that's really important is that you know, memorizing uh, tarawih, all these things, subhanallah, are very, very, very rewardable. But a lot of these things are recommended. Yet subhanallah, some of the the actions that the brothers have spoken about today are obligatory and further upon us. And on those matters, we have no choice and we should be partaking and we should be performing those actions. So inshallah ta'ala, brothers, jazakallah ahead. I know you guys are counting down the minutes. We're, we're close, we're close, don't worry. Jazakallah ahead for your efforts. And inshallah ta'ala, I hope everyone watching and listening benefits from this. Uh, anything good we've said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and any, any mistakes we've made are purely from us. And inshallah, we'll see you on the next podcast. 
جزاک اللہ السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ